Take your Bibles. It is not an accident that in our series of Nehemiah, we wind up in Nehemiah 4 right after our men's conference. And so I I know um, I prayed. I'll I'll tell you publicly the most nerve-wracking, heavy, rely-on-God moment I've ever had was standing in front of those men. Um, I literally told, I think it was Omar, I was like, I feel like in ministry, this is one of the most powerful moments God has given me to proclaim his word. And that, that was a very heavy load. And, and I only did one sermon at this thing. And I, I, I told him in our, our jam sessions, God gave me one sermon and told me no more. So we got to figure out the rest. And, and, and in that sermon, like God just really laid it heavy to charge these guys, to bring these guys back up. And our whole theme was back to the tree. And for those of you that weren't there, we were talking back to the tree where Adam and Eve decided to take a fruit God said not to take. What could have been different and what could have changed? How could we have had a different view? And so that's the tools we try to get them. And then we kind of ended on Friday night with God's going to bring us back to the tree in Revelations 22, but not that tree. He's going to bring us back to the tree of life and from his throne will flow waters that nurture it. And then we will live forever with no more pain, suffering, no more stupidity, no more me in the way, but only Jesus in view. And that's going to be a good day. And I hope you're looking forward to that day because God started it at a tree and intends to bring it back to one. And I'm thankful that the tree he takes us back to is not the tree of our failure, but the tree of his prosperity. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. And so in Nehemiah chapter three, we saw where God had them go out and start building this wall. Remember from sheep gate to sheep gate, they worked. Last week we laid that out and we talked about the significance. I took you on this little adventure of how God speaks to me in studies about the bolts and the beams and about, hey, don't do things halfway in your life. And hey, we, we've got to understand it starts and it ends with Jesus. And hey, the, the 35 times in chapter three, it says in the people next to them and beside them and with them realizing that we can't get there alone. You cannot stay sober alone. How many of you in this room know that to be very true, that you cannot recover by yourself? Anybody say yes to that? Yeah. How many of you understand you can't raise your children by yourself? You trust a teacher with them eight hours a day, right? You, you, you touch a babysitter with them on a date. You trust people with them all the time, moms and dads, aunts and uncles. You're, you're always looking to people to help you raise your kids. I'm going to tell you this right now. You cannot walk in faith alone. Jesus was the perfect son of God, yet needed 12 people to walk through life with when it came to ministry. And yes, he was teaching them and training them, but he also leaned on them and relied on them. We know that very well from the Garden of Gethsemane where he came out and he said, this is my most desperate hour and you're asleep. Why can't you stay awake with me in my moment of need? You know, I'm, I'm telling you now, like if you're trying to do life alone, then you are definitely going to feel the pressure of the world, the weight of the world. And let's be honest, you and I are not designed to carry that. It's not in our nature. It's not in our ability. We need a savior. We need a Lord, but we need each other. But I'm promising you this. If you have a chapter three experience, like many of you men did this weekend, like many of you are experiencing as you're growing in your walk with God on a daily basis or connecting with people throughout your small groups. And if you're not in one, you need to get in one. I'm telling you, your Sunday morning faith is not enough. All right. We say it all the time. I'll give you an example. It would be as if today you went to a buffet, but yet all you ate today was all you got for the week. And as much as you ate today and as sick as you got from being full, I promise you by Wednesday, you're going to be hungry again. And the truth is, is we got to understand that as much as we get in here and we worship God and get excited to be with God's people, as much as your children are sitting and being taught the word of God in children's church right now, as much as these things are happening, if this is all of God they get, then they're anorexic and starving when it comes to their spiritual walk. 
But I'm gonna promise you this, and I want you to understand this, and I want you to write it in your notes and keep it there. The moment you put effort in, the moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you start the work that God has called you to, the moment you start rebuilding, the moment you start restoring, the moment you return to God, the moment you say, I'm gonna go deeper with God, I'm gonna launch out, I'm gonna throw my net on the other side. The moment you go there, difficulty is gonna come. And part of that difficulty is gonna be the enemy targeting you. And today in chapter number four, we're gonna take the first few verses and we're gonna look at part of the ways and how he does come after us. And I know this to be true. Last night as my heart was happy to be with my family, but broken because those moments, I always get sad. I cry when I leave a conference um, because, you know, you're not guaranteed to ever be with that group of people again. And you're praying that God really planted in people's hearts what's needed so that when they leave that place, they can go forward. I got there and all the elders were texting each other. Men were texting in the men's group on church center and and, and, and even Chris was saying, Pastor Chris and uh, him and DJ and Travis, they're all out of town. They had to leave right after the conference. But he was saying, man, my heart's hurting not to be there. My heart's heavy. Uh, while I'm excited about what God did, it's sad to see it over. I actually even said that to the elders, to which Wade responded, it's not over. And I love those words. Like, it's not over. And it's now getting started. But once you get started and the effort starts happening, the enemy is going to dial your number. I mean, he's going to tune it up. He's going to come in and he's going to try to attack everything that you're trying to do. And that's exactly what happens in chapter number four. So read with me if you would. It says, Sembalat was very angry when he learned that the Jews were rebuilding the wall. In the first couple chapters, he's making fun of the thought. But now that it's reality, the temperament changes. I'll be honest with you. Satan will mess with you when you're thinking about it, but he will come after you when you start doing it. He will mess with your mind when you're saying, hey, I need to be a better husband, better wife, better parent. He will mess with your mind when you need to get more committed to God and more committed to the things of God rather than the things of the world. When we need to surrender our jobs a little bit more so we can be more available to who God is, he's going to mess with you. He's going to come after me. And I don't know about you today, but I can see areas of my life that the enemy is trying to invade. Anybody else throw a hand up and say, yes, I've got that in my life too. How many of you can say honestly and openly today that there's been mistakes made in your life? Would you slip your hand up? And hopefully that's every person because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, we've made mistakes, right? How many of you would say that sometimes those mistakes, even in your past, become your present because the enemy loves to remind you of them? How many of you one time, I mean, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I want to volunteer. I need to say something, but you feel disqualified because of where you've been. Well, God's got a word for you today. Sambala gets angry and he raged and the Bible says he mocks the Jews. By the way, Psalm chapter number one teaches us and and the things that we need to understand is that when you start doing things for God, there's gonna be a mocker, there's gonna be a scorner, there's gonna be a sinner show up. There's gonna be somebody that mocks what you're trying to do, there's gonna be somebody tearing down what you're trying to do, and then there's gonna be somebody saying, don't do that, come do this, right? How many of you seen that in your life? The Bible says, blessed is the man that doesn't walk in this council of the ungodly, doesn't sit in these seats, doesn't stand around with these people, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That dude, that girl, that person becomes like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They become strong and rooted. Paul wrote it in the New Testament this way. Hey, now that you've received Christ, walk in Christ and let your roots grow down into him. 
All right, I'm telling you now, it's one thing to find fertile soil. It's another thing to get rooted in it. It's one thing to hear something you know you need. It's another thing to believe it. It's one thing to believe what you heard and believe that it's true. It's another thing to actually act on it and do something with it. We need to raise a generation that says, if I don't get roots, the wind will blow me over. Please put this in your notes. The storm is coming, it's coming, it's coming. If it's not already in your life, it will be there soon. I mean, how many of you watch um, the Weather Channel when hurricanes are coming and you see these preparations taking place? What are, what are some of the things you kind of see people do if they're on the coast? Talk to me. All right, they board up windows, right? Uh, what else do they do? Huh? Sandbags. They put them around. They get a barrier. All right, something else. Tell me. Evacuate. There it is. I was waiting on it. Get out, Right? You say, well, what if I can't run from my storm? Sometimes you're going to go through your storm. Pastor Chris said a beautiful thing in one of his breakouts. And um, he, he said, you know, that Jesus was in the boat. And he was talking about the relationship of a husband and wife. Jesus was in the boat asleep while they were going through a storm. He didn't care about the storm, wasn't scared about the storm. But what activated him was people that loved him said, Master, I need you. And he said, hey, guys, you know what some of the best advice you can do in your life is? Is go tell your wife what you need. Go talk to your wife about what you're going through. Ask the questions that are in your mind because she ain't a mind reader. She's activated by your desire of her. How many of you women think that's a pretty good word? Yeah. yeah and it's not don't go demand it. Go talk. Right? And so when we look at this, we realize that all through the Bible, the Bible talks about storms, does it not? Um, a wise man built his house on what? A rock. A foolish man built his house on the sand. Those are symbolic. Rock means something you can believe in, that you can stand on, and there's no other rock other than the word of God and Jesus Christ, and on this rock he built his church. And so understand this. God's saying if you build your house on biblical principle, it's going to get attacked. The winds are going to come, but you're going to stand. But the, the sand represents the opinions of the world, what you and I think is right, hopes and dreams that are not centered in God, all these things that are of the world but not of God, and we build our house on those things, we build our hopes and dreams on those things, the storm comes, and what happens? We get blown over. And I'm telling you right now, like, I don't want you to leave a conference or I don't want you to leave a service and I don't want you to think that going out into the world, it's going to be easy. And I don't think that the church realizes that the hardships of our life could not be God attacking or testing. It simply could be the enemy trying to hinder what God is doing in your life. I mean, matter of fact, I, I will say this. If you are completely absent temptation, completely absent a storm, completely absent some kind of trial or testing in your life, please stop and reevaluate your faith walk with Christ. Because I'm going to tell you this now, the closer you get to Jesus, the temptations are going to come, the testings are going to come, the trials are going to come, um, the enemy's going to come. You got it? So Simbalat gets angry, and look at this, and here's where we're going to take our text, and this is where we'll get everything. We're literally going to read down to verse number three. He says this, he, he, he went into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of, and I've got these underlined, ready? Poor, feeble Jews, underline all three of those separately, we're coming back. What do these poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day? Here it is. I got this underlined too. By offering just a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones? I got this part underlined too. From a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? 
Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. The King James says, if it leans on it, it's going to fall over. Can I give you six tactics and six things to look for? All right, normally I don't tell you how many because you'll tune out, but we're gonna go quick, ready? Let's back up in, in verse number two. He says, hey, what does this bunch of poor, here's the things that the enemy will try to tear down when God is trying to build you up. You ready? Number one, your value. You're poor. I mean, you're broke. You're slaves, you're worthless. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I firmly believe that when it comes to the value of who you are and, 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 and what you can be for Christ, you're going to have to watch out for Christians in this more than you're going to have to watch out for the world. Because if you are not the standard of which the church thinks you should be, a lot of times they believe you can't be used. But the good news is, is the only standard that God uses to measure anything in heaven is the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for us. And that was shared for all equally and it's level at the cross. And whosoever will means God will reach anyone that wants to come to him. I, I want you to understand this today, that you may sit here and you may look at a bank account and think you're too poor. You may look at your time and think you've got too little. You may look at your talent and ability and think you're not enough. And the enemy will show up and say, hey, don't speak today. Don't say anything today. Don't do anything today. Don't sign up to teach children today. Don't get involved in that ministry. You're not good enough for it. You don't have enough. You can't speak. You can't be someone they follow. Look at the next one. Not only does he come after their value, he comes after their ability. Feeble. Feeble is a big word for unable, right? It, it, it means weak. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you have ever felt worthless? Let's get a hand in the air. How many of you have ever felt like, hey, nobody could love me, nobody could care. If anybody really knew me, they'd leave me. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. You know what Satan's come after? Your value. Yeah, how many of you have ever felt like, I am way too tired for this? You know, like... I got out of bed exhausted this morning, not feeling the best. I'm not sick, but just, you know, you, you get tired. You go, how many of you have ever had that adrenaline rush and then the adrenaline run off? And at the end of the adrenaline rush is what? Crash, right? And so like you, you get in those moments and it's like, hey, not you, not today. You know, maybe, maybe let somebody else do it. Somebody once said that if good keeps waiting on someone else good to do something good before they will act in good, then good will be in a traffic jam while evil's running amok. Because at some point we got to get up and we got to realize that, hey, I'm not going to always feel like it and I'm not going to always feel able and I'm not going to always feel like the most equipped. I stood in front of 39 men and in my mind I was thinking some of these guys are way more qualified than me to have the mic in this moment. I stand in front of you on Sundays and I realize that it's only by the grace and mercy of God that I get to stand and teach you because when I talk to some of you and in conversations with you, it blows my mind just the things of God that you have in you. And I don't stand up here thinking I'm better than you or that I've got more than you. I realize that I could hand this mic to you right now and you probably could pour out more wisdom. You probably have more knowledge and understanding in certain areas, but here's what I know. It's not about who I am in this moment. It's about who God is in this moment. And in my eyes, I could be weak. In the world's eyes, I could be weak. But he that is in me is greater than anybody in the world. And he that is in me is the one that's equipping. And as long as it's his word, his will, his way, it doesn't matter my condition. It matters my position of faith towards him. And so the guys show up and they're like, you're poor, you're weak. And then he goes after identity. Number three, you're a Jew. 
And in that day and time, being a Jew wasn't like a champion moment. They're all in captivity. They're all broken down. They're a mockery. They're made fun of. They're, they're, they're the worthless generation. They're nothing but a group of slaves that can't accomplish anything. And the enemy is going to come into your life with those words if he hasn't already. And they're going to echo in your mind that you are this. You're, you're, you're not valuable. You're not able. You're not who you think you are. You know, how many of you, we sing this song uh, way back when. Y'all remember this? It's hard to believe we call this an old praise and worship song, but um, praise and worship has been around for a while. And whether we like to admit it or not, our lives are moving on. Am I right? But how many of you remember that song? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Here's the statement that used to rock me. He calls me friend, but God goes further than that. He calls me son. He calls you daughter. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have been in my life thinking, how could I be called a son of God? How could I be called this or that? And, you know, I don't know about you. The Bible says my righteousness, even my good is as filthy rags. God says the best I can do still falls short of the glory of God. But there's always that but, the gift of God. But God sent his son. But God loves us. And but God cares. And I'm telling you this right now. The enemy's going to come in. And you're going to start seeing this in the world. I saw three articles come out this week. One overseas in Pakistan where Christian churches are getting burnt to the ground everywhere. Where families' homes are getting burnt down. As Christians in Pakistan have been launched in a new assault right now against Christianity. Two guys supposedly tore some pages from the Quran. And in law, legally the Muslims have a right to respond and they are burning these churches down going after these families and now they're living in jungles and the news article said they are living there even though there are poisonous snakes and spiders and animals everywhere that could kill them it is more safe for them to be with the poisonous beings than it is for them to be in their homes and I look at that and I sent that to Garrett and we immediately start praying and, and literally what you need to understand when you see that is that is coming to a neighborhood near you all right that's coming soon. And then all of a sudden, while we're at the men's conference, a, a, a thing goes out and it says um, that the Bank of America dropped a religious organization and told them they would no longer carry their bank accounts. They had 30 days to remove all their money, get all their things in order because they were shutting them down because the belief system of the organization does not align with the belief system of a Bank of America. And I look at that and I'm like, hey, that's on our turf. You know, and you look at that and you say, oh, that's scary. That's just, no, it's like this. There's going to come a day, and, and it's already started, to where being a Christian is not going to be a popular term. And being a child of God is not going to be a popular thing. And the enemy is going to come after us and going to say, are you one of those? And I'm going to tell you this. I'm proud to be one of these. I'm proud to be one of those. And I'm thankful for what God's done in my life. If there's anybody that can stand on a stage like Paul wrote in the Word and say, I'm a chief of sinner, but I also know the grace of God. I feel qualified to make that statement that if there's a worst in the room, it is me. But if there's a best in the room, it is Jesus. And what I love about my Savior, what I love about my Lord, what I love about my God is he is not getting caught up in the identity of what you were or what you do. He gets caught up in the identity of who he is. He's confident in who he is. He's a jealous God. He's a stable God. He's a never-changing God. And God knows who he is and knows what he can do in you and 
and in me, and he's consistent, and he cares, and he's coming after us. So yes, today, you may be the person that's in captivity. You may be the person that's broken. You may be the person that's bound and being attacked mentally, emotionally, spiritually in your life. But just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're worthless today or broke today. It means that God has a plan and he's going to rebuild your nation. He's going to expand your coast. But Satan will come after that identity. How many of you found this to be true? You can identify with the words that others say about you than the truth you know about you. How many of you say it's easier to identify with what somebody thinks rather than to be able to establish what I should believe about myself? You know, when I was in Illinois about six years ago preaching a revival, I made a statement that you were not what your third grade teacher said you were. After that was over, a high schooler came walking up to me and asked me a question. He said, how did you know what my third grade teacher said? And I was like, buddy, I was just speaking metaphorically. I was speaking openly. He said, you said word for word what she said to me. And then you said you cannot have the identity that other people want you to have. Instead, your identity has to be in who Jesus is, not even in who you are. By the way, that's the problem. When we try to look at ourselves and say, this is how good I am or how most behaved I'm being, and this is how Christ can use me, you're in trouble. Your identity is not found in who you are. Your identity is found in who he is, and he is the one that should be living and ruling and reigning in you. And as I know who Christ is and I give him control of my life and surrender that, my identity is found in him. I am thankful for this and I hope you get thankful for this too. I don't stand before God at the end of my life in my identity. I stand before God at the end of my life in the identity of his son. And my name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life because of what I've done. My name is in the Lamb's Book of Life because of what he did. And when we're identifying in this fleshly body, there is limitation to what we can do. But when we identify with God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, ruling and reigning in my life, there is no limitation to what he can do. Don't you like these verses? With men, these things may seem impossible, but with God, finish it for me. All things are possible. Do you believe that today? Because if you get the identity of the world, you stop building a wall. You get the identity of God. I'm going to lay another stone. I'm going to put another thing on this. I'm going to keep going. My challenge to you guys is not to walk out of a conference with the identity of a conference or to walk out of a conference with the identity of another man, but to walk out of the conference in the identity of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to pursue him and to allow him to set you up. I love how Colossians says this, whether you're Jew, Gentile, man or woman, it doesn't matter. All that matters is what we've been given through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Number four, it's pretty quick, huh? Number four, he goes after their belief system. He says, oh, these poor, feeble Jews, do they think that they can rebuild a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? What gate did they build first? Talk to me. Sheep gate. What came through the sheep gate? The sacrifices. And you know, it's the gate that Jesus used. Signifying that, hey, our righteousness with God, our, our, our salvation in God is made not through what we can do, but by entering in through the sheep gate. Jesus declared himself, I am the gate. And if you're going to get to the Father, you got to come through me. Beautiful symbolism. So they watch as they're building the sheep gate. They watch as the sacrifices pour in. And they really think, do they think their faith is really going to get them somewhere? Do they really think that doing that is actually going to make this happen? I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, I believe Satan is not after your behavior. I think he's after 
after your belief system. I don't believe he's trying to change the behaviors of our children. He's trying to change the minds of our children. He's not going after our generation and saying, hey, I want you to do this, do that. He's saying, I want you to think this, think that. Because the more you think this, the more you become this. And the more you start feeling towards what you think, the more actions come out of it. Remember, we say it. Thoughts produce feelings. Feelings produce actions. Say that with me. Ready? Thoughts produce feelings. Feelings produce actions. Matter of fact, in our men's conference on, on that night, we talked about in, in chapter number uh, two and three, where Eve, when she was standing, the Bible says she was standing at the tree. It starts with this sentence. She was convinced. She looked. She saw what she wanted. She took it. She ate it. She gave it away. And we said, hey, listen to me. Understand this. It's the process that goes on in our mind. What we put our eyes on and think about, we'll eventually want. What we eventually want, we'll take. What we take, we'll do something with. And after we've done something with, we pass it on. Let me give a challenge to you right now. Adults, listen to me. Children, listen to me. College age, listen to me. It's desperate that you grab this. There is such a thing as passing on generational curses in your life. There is such a thing as the sins of the father being passed to another. We see, we want, we take, we eat, we share, we give away, we do these things. It's the same process. The longer you think about sin, the more apt you are to do it. When lust has conceived, after you've thought about it and it's conceived, it brings forth what? Sin. And when sin is done, what's it bring? Death. You know, I know this to be true. Um, I, I have it happened in my life, and maybe this probably won't make me the most popular pastor standing in front of you today, but if I don't stay in the word of God, sometimes I start doubting his word, and if I'm not careful, I'll doubt him. And as much as I want to pursue him, if I start pursuing other things in my life or get my mind on all the things I think I need to do in my life, and I, I, I'll find that my belief systems are under attack, and when my belief systems get under attack, then my life starts to fall apart. You know, do you think a little bit of sacrifice is going to change you? Here, ready, write this down in big letters in your notes. Absolutely. Do you think that you going to God and surrendering your life is going to change your life? Absolutely. Do you believe that accepting Jesus as your Savior will actually save your soul? Absolutely. Do you believe that making God the Lord of your life will actually give you somebody that will help you and lead you and guide you and become a shepherd that will supply all your needs? Absolutely. Will a little bit of change towards Jesus in your life make a big difference? Yes. On your own, you can't rebuild anything. But through Christ and faith in Christ, you can rebuild anything. And on that, God can do some amazing things through, in, and from you. I need you to understand. God wants you to understand today that the moment you start believing in Christ, Satan will attack the belief system. I literally had a conversation with somebody that said just recently, well, the other gods are more interesting to me. Yeah, because Satan's not going to give you something boring. He's going to put something in front of you that's a little bit enticing. You don't believe it? Some of the most vulgar songs in the world have the best beat and the best rhymes and the best rhythm and the best music behind it. You know, how many of you, uh, be honest with me, when you even listen to your music, sometimes you're not even listening to the words because you're just kind of into the, 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 the movement of the song. How many of you do that? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody else in here, the king or queen of making up your own words? All right, here we go. Like, it's like, that's not what it said, but that's what you made it say. All right, hey, can I tell you this? Satan's not going to throw something cheesy at you. He's going to throw something enticing at you. I mean, look at the three temptations of Jesus. They were all things Jesus desired and all things that were in the moments of weakness in Jesus's life. 
What was he doing? 40 days of a fast. What do you think that dude was? Hungry. So what's he tell him to do? Hey, turn this, this stone into bread. I'll be honest with you. If you're living in a sexless marriage, guys, girls, don't be surprised that the devil doesn't try to get you to dial up something on the internet. Sorry, that's an old school term. Listen, um, gigabyte, fast, trilite, bring up something on your internet. We don't dial it up anymore. It moves pretty quick. If you're in a bad season of your life, don't be surprised if Satan doesn't show up with the one thing that you think would make it better. That if you gave into, would strip the power of God away from the moment. And they look at him and they say, do you really think these sacrifices are going to help you build a wall? I'm going to tell you this right now. If you can't get your life to a sacrificial place, it don't matter what you want to build. It's never going to happen. In some place we got to get to, I surrender all. At some place we got to get to, okay, God, I did this on my own and I'm powerless to do this anymore. At some place we got to realize it's not me, it's him. And if I leave it on me, it'll never get done. But if I give it to him, amazing things can happen. And Satan's going to come after you and try to keep you in bed on a Sunday morning, try to keep you out of a, a Sunday small group, try to keep you out of your devotion life, try to keep you off you version every day, try to keep you away from the things of God. And literally, do you really want to preach to me? I've had somebody say this. Do you really want to say that if I did 30 minutes of devotions every day and prayed and talked to God, my life would change? I, I, I don't just want to say it. I want to tell you, I want to declare it. I want to proclaim it. I want to name it in Jesus' name and rebuke an enemy that's lying to you saying it won't change you. I promise you it will will. Pastor DJ shared on Friday night, he shared a story that really has stuck in my mind. When he first came to God, that was not a good dude. His mom's right here. Amen to that? All right. Matter of fact, that dude has more uh, mug shots than I have yearbook pictures. All right. Like this guy had like a lot of past. And he said that he went to his wife and said, we're going to start reading our Bible. And she said, you can't teach me or lead me anywhere. You're a failure as a husband. This is years ago. He said, so he started looking up for a devotional and he said, why he was looking it up? All of a sudden he heard her snoring asleep. And he said, you know what I did for, for about a couple of weeks? I just read to her sleeping. And the next thing I know, she's awake. Next thing I know, she's staring at the ceiling. Next thing I know, she's facing me. And a month and a half later, sitting up in the bed, we're doing it together. You're saying, oh, that's not how it works. I'm gonna tell you this right now. If you did a 30 day test drive of Jesus Christ in your life, I promise you, you'll never trade that car in. You'll never turn it back in. You'll never test anything else. I mean, David wrote it this way, taste of the Lord and see that it's good. And this is a guy that had taste of riches. This is a guy that had taste of a throne. This is a guy that had taste of another man's wife. This is a guy that had taste of hiding your sin and murdering other people. This is a guy that had taste of blood. This is a guy that had taste of war. This is a guy that had a taste of the world in any way that you could probably think. And all of a sudden gets a bite of God and writes the verse and writes the poem, taste of the Lord and see that he is good. We've said it before. We'll say it again. There's no high like the most high. There's no fulfillment like there is in living for God and reaching others for God. And if you're sitting here saying, I don't believe it, it's because you don't do it. That's it. I'm telling you, nothing can change you. Nothing can fulfill you. Nothing can satisfy you. Like God and his Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't know. 30-day test drive. As a matter of fact, seven-day test drive. I mean, just turn out the world for seven days and see if your temperament changes. I mean, dial in to K-Love or somebody gave me a Southern Gospel Station. What was that one? I want to give it out because some people like it. 96.3, am I right? All right, so tune in to those and, 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 and no other thing. Turn off anything on your TV that's of the world and, and dial up the chosen. 
Dial up, go get Pure Flix. Our church actually pays for a subscription for you to Right Now Media where there are thousands of movies and devotionals. It's free to you. All you gotta do is sign up. I mean, just go dial it up and that's it. And when you get tempted to do something you shouldn't do, pick up your phone, open your U version, pick up your Bible and just start reading the word of God. Anytime it becomes about you, take it to God. Seven days, just seven days. And I promise you like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, at the end of a test period of only eating the things of God, you'll be strong. Stronger, your countenance will look good. Your wife will think you look good. Your husband will think you look good. Things will be good and your children will start asking questions. What's happened to mom and dad? I promise you, you cannot spend time in the presence of God and leave the same. You can't do it. But the enemy is going to come after that belief system, isn't he? I mean, the enemy is going to say, you're too tired. It's too much. Don't go, I'm, I'm gonna write, please, and I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm gonna tell you this. I was scared to death to go to this conference. I mean, dudes hanging out and it not being about a ball game or bowling or something where we can flex our muscles and act like we're, you know, like, okay, it, without it being testosterone-driven, is very scary for me. I mean, most men in my life leave, and the man that should have meant the most in my life, I should have meant the most to them, beat me most of my life. And so I have a very big, what is this going to be? But Chris kept saying, Pastor Chris, this is, could be one of the most powerful things that's ever happened in Jefferson County. This is the most powerful thing that could happen in our church. This is a pivotal moment. Let's get these guys together. And at sometimes I have to say, if I'm standing with a man of faith, if there's a Moses that says my hands have to be in the air, then let me be an heir and let me be a her. I'll hold it there even if it doesn't make sense. Let's just see. And I went, I'm telling you now, it was one of the most powerful encounters. I say that to say this, oftentimes in my life, it's the thing that I don't want to do that I need to do the most. You know, always. The prime example in my life is Monday nights at six o'clock. That's our overcoming grief small group. It's got about 30 people in it, but it's, we call it a small group. And that night, I, I mean, normally by the time we get there, I am drained and there's sometimes I just don't want to go, but I'll walk in that class I'll sit down and we will just start talking about God and start talking about the things of God. And something will happen in that class every single time that just revives my soul and renews my spirit. You know what? God says he'll renew you every day, but he'll also deposit mercy every day. And he's got grace for you every day. Why? Because he knows that you're going to go on empty by the end of the day. You're going to run out of faith, run out of steam. Your belief system is constantly under attack. We said it last week. We've been echoing this for the past month. Change your behavior and it'll be a short-term change. Change your belief system and you will change forever. Change what you believe. Why are you doing the things you're doing? But Satan's coming after that. Look at number five, if you would. It's right after that. He says, do they actually think they can make something of the stones from a rubbish heap and the charred ones at that? If God knew that I needed a verse, that was it. And there's a word for any of you sitting here today. I have found this to be true in my life. You'll find it to be true in yours. It's often the things that you felt like Satan's destroyed in your life that God can use to rebuild a platform in your life to be used by him to reach other people. Do they really think they're going to build a wall from the stones that are burned? From the rubbish that's been created by being conquered? Here's the answer of God, and you need to hear this. Some of you men and ladies need to hear this, absolutely. 
From the broken years of your marriage can come the strongest marriage you've ever had. From the broken years of your ministry can become the strongest platform you can stand on. You know, I do get very, very hit sometimes in thinking, who am I to stand in front of people and talk about sexual integrity? But the reality, and Garrett tells me this all the time, that's why you need other people. He said, who better to do it than somebody that knows what happens when you don't have it? You say, well, how can I tell people about addiction when I've only been clean for two weeks? I'll promise you this. The more you talk about it, the cleaner you will stay because God will give you an ability to stand and lead others. It's not about how far down the journey you are. It's what you're willing to do with the journey that God has taken you on to help somebody else achieve. You don't have to be perfect. By the way, nobody listens to somebody who claims to be perfect. They shouldn't because they are a liar, right? right there's not a perfect person in the room. I can't give you a perfect pastor. I cannot send you to a perfect church. And if they pretend to be the perfect pastor in the perfect church, you gotta be scared. I don't believe that Jesus came and, and came in God form. I believe Jesus came and came in flesh. And the Bible said that he was tempted in every way that we were, but was without sin. I know I, I, I've been making statements like, hey guys, get your mind around this. Girls, get your mind around this. That Jesus would be tempted by the same things you were tempted by. And in order for it to actually be a temptation, there has to be a consideration of doing it, a desire to want it. And so when we sit here and we say that, hey, the church has a porn problem, and I'm not talking about just grace, I'm talking about in, 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 in a whole, when I'm sitting here and I'm saying, hey, churches have gossip problems, churches have tear down people, step on people problems, backstabbing problems, division problems, churches have issues with judgment and pointing out the flaws in others, trying to get the speck out of everybody else's eye while beams are running around in our own. We're trying to save the world when we don't live as if we have a savior. We're trying to preach a gospel of love that we don't even give in the right method. Hey, we need to understand today that the church is the biggest mission field that's ever been because we have a knowledge of God, but we deny the power of it. We haven't, we, we say, Hey, we love him. Oh, you're so good, but we can't live it. And I'm telling you right now, I got to bring it back. And I, I want you to hear this and I want you to get it from the ashes of your life. He creates masterpieces from the burnt charred stones that represent the failure that you think makes you, you God can build his temple again, build his sanctuary again, build his city again. He can build the place. He'll rule and reign forever from the brokenness of you. And I tell you, I believe it's time that the church starts letting the brokenness of our lives be the tool the enemy uses, but instead make it a foundation of which we build Christ on and let others see. Don't pretend to be perfect to your children. Let them hear your struggle. Now, I'm not saying let them hear your fight. I'm saying let them hear mom and dad made this mistake. I don't have a curfew for you because of you. I got a curfew for you because of who? Me. You ain't taking your phone in your bedroom because of you. You're not taking your phone in your bedroom because of me. Well, everybody else gets to do it. I get that. But dad messed up here. And dad did this and dad did that. And I need you to know that I don't want you messed up. You say, oh my goodness, I would never be. And I think Mark said it well. He came up to the microphone and, and I know it was Shannon, came up to the microphone and said, there's power in what? Vulnerable. Oh, man. What would it be for our children to just say, hey, you know, look, this is where I've been. This is what happened. I don't want this to happen here. Um, what, what kind of, when day this is going to have to happen? I'm going to have to take my daughter on a date. I'm going to have to sit her down and I'm going to have to say, hey, 
I want you to watch out for this boy. And here's how I know who this boy is. Because your dad was like this. And do you think that's going to be easy to do? Do you think admitting to her, now I'm not going to go into intimate detail, but do you think admitting to her that dad made a mistake? Dad broke your mommy's heart. Dad did these things that, that, that if he could take back at a moment, he would, but they're there. And I want you to watch out and I want you to get a man that's not portraying this and looking like this. I, w- I want you to love God more than anything because I don't want this to happen to your heart. One of the, the, the most uh, real things my wife said to me in the devastation of her pain years ago was she said, what would you think if someone did this to our daughter? And I immediately wept because a man's mind doesn't think about that till too late. We don't see the little girls that are somebody's daughter. We don't see children of God. We're visual and we're, we're driven to this. And I'm telling you this, Satan will come after your belief system, but he'll also come after that character. But then he'll take that stone and he'll try to throw it at you. And I just want you to hear the words of your Savior one more time that says, he that is without sin, throw the first stone. And the stones that should have destroyed the woman at the well, Jesus used to save her. And I'm telling you this right now, we need to understand in our lives that you are not too broken, you are not too far gone. You are not the identity of your past. You are not the identity of your failure. You are chosen by God before the foundation of the world were laid. You were chosen. You are loved by God. And right now, from burnt rock, he can rebuild you. That's a powerful word. And I believe this, I sat around on uh, Friday night. I'm not gonna tell ever the intimate conversations that were had. But um, as I sat there, I realized that I was sitting by, I think, the Navy on one side, Air Force on another side, Marine on the other side, and they were all talking. And uh, I was listening to them talk about their struggles of coming out of the military. And immediately you saw bonds form from these guys. And I literally looked at one of them and, and I said, don't be surprised if God doesn't call you into a ministry that has to do with reaching these vets that you're sitting here telling me about. Now, I don't want to call you, and I'm not going to tell you this is God's will for you, but don't be surprised if from the area you look at in yourself and say, oh my gosh, I messed that up, that God doesn't say, okay, then let's set something up right here. Don't be surprised if you're in a group one day and all of a sudden a couple comes in that's broken and they're going through an affair or they're going through a brokenness and you've been through that, but nobody knows and God pierces your heart and says, it's time to tell your story. Don't be surprised if if God puts you on a phone with somebody who's suicidal on the day that you may be suicidal. I've told the story many times. I preached a whole sermon years ago, standing on the stage with cardboard pieces of paper with scripture verses read on it. And and, and where it came is that night, I literally had to go sit in my room and write out all these things. I was mowing my yard, very depressed, very down. Alcoholism is a part of my past. And um, by the way, just because it's a part of your past doesn't mean that at any moment it can become a part of your present. And so we tell people all the time, just because you're through it doesn't mean you're over it. And you got to have boundaries, transparency, set up things around your life to keep you from it. Anybody understand what I'm saying? Say amen to that today. You, you, you might've been delivered, but I'm telling you right now, if you got healed from a cold, doesn't mean another one's not coming, right? And so I remember I was mowing my yard and I literally got into this thing where I, I thought to myself, like, I'm, uh, I'm going to finish mowing. I'm going to go get drunk. And so I was blowing off my driveway, literally was at the end, had my backpack blower on. I was at the end of my driveway. If this is my driveway, four steps from the end, I was blowing it and literally all of a sudden got jerked backwards, physically. And I turn around and it's a guy, a complete stranger, 
that said, when you get done, I'm staying at my dad's house and I need you to come over. And I'm like, this is weird. I go, I put my blower up and I go into my house and I'm like, um, the neighbor, and I knew he was out of town. We were close. His son's over at his house and asked me to come over. What are you going to do? I'm going to go. I don't want to give glory to my past because I want to give glory to the victory that God gave me over it. But I used to be a heavy tequila drinker and, and I literally thought in my mind that that's what I was going to go get that night. And I literally walked in the door of this guy's house and there he is sitting in the back with another neighbor of mine from down the street and he holds up a glass of tequila and he says, my dad said that you were an alcoholic and God set you free from this. Help me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like for real. Like, here I am. And in that moment, guess what? You poor, feeble, drunk. Do you really think that you can go in here in this moment and tell this guy? And I remember I sat down on his couch and I say, can I tell you what I was thinking when you grabbed my blower? And we sat there and we talked and the other guy started saying, my wife said that I'm too much of a drunk. She's going to leave me. And if I ever get drunk and, and all this again, she's gone. I'm like, then what are you doing here? You live five houses down. What are you doing sitting right here? I just don't know how to change. Well, first, I'm going to pick you up, and we're going to walk home, and I'm going to talk to your wife with you and tell her what you're doing right now, but we're going we're gonna to get you help. Do, do I feel qualified in the moment? No. But I'm going to say this. I got a very valuable lesson in the moment. I'm going to give it to you now. Some of the things that will keep you the most clean in your life is the ministry declaring war on the devil and his legions in the area where they trapped you at some point in your life. And sometimes we think, well, I'm not qualified because of this. I've said it so many times before. Dave Ramsey teaches millions of people, whether you believe in it in his process or not, millions of people a year how to get financially stable and has declared bankruptcy himself twice. And you say, well, what right does he have? He is a multimillionaire now. Nobody cares about the bankruptcy. All they care about is how did you get from there to here? And I'm telling you this now, any one of us in here can stand at any time and say, I am a sinner, but the thing that sets me apart is the grace of God and the mercy of God has invaded my life. And because of Jesus, I am not who I used to be. Does anybody have that testimony today? Because of him, I am not who I used to be. But the thing that is dangerous is the enemy then shows up and says, those are burnt stones. Those are tore down walls. Don't you dare tell anybody and I'm here today to call you up in the name of Jesus Christ and to tell you the best way to keep the enemy at bay is to trust that the Lord has empowered you against your weakness to be able to stand in him and rescue those who experience the weakness too I'm telling you it's time for the army of God to realize that not only is he coming after that past lastly he's coming after your present if a fox walks on the top, it'll fall down. Some of you are working very hard. I see it. I spend time with many of you in conversation. And um, I don't want to really quote Paula Abdul, but what is that song she's saying? You take one step forward, two steps back. Why? We fit together because opposites. So dumb in what she's saying. But I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes that's how it feels in a weight loss journey, doesn't it? Ah, uh, hey, I didn't need a, I didn't need anything sweet today. The worst thing my doctor said to me two weeks ago was you lost two pounds. You know why? Because now I feel like I have, well, I've done good. I can eat three donuts on the way to church. You know what I mean? Like, 
Hey, anybody else ever have that happen? Like, hey, you've done very well. You've ran every day for the past week. Take tonight off. What's tonight turn into? A month. Am I right? You know, like, you go to church all the time. It won't hurt you to sleep in. One time turns to two. Two times turns to a habit because three, you're set in a behavior. And you say, well, why is that? Because 21 days have passed in between. You know, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I want you to realize this. Don't just declare war on what the enemy has done in your past. Hold tightly to what God is doing in your present. Know this, that he that began the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't turn back. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. I've been nice to my husband for 24 hours and he hasn't changed. (laughs) You know, I'm going to tell you this, ladies. I felt like God wanted me to give you this word for any lady who's married to a man that went to the conference. Do not get discouraged if he didn't come home and immediately become the man you wanted him to be. Don't speak like, oh, and you just went to a men's conference. Don't say it. Because God will plant the seeds, but let's learn something about a seed. It takes a while to grow. All right? And so understand that you got to nurture that. Hey, what did God tell you? And then remind gently of that. But the Bible gives us two verses about what we should do if somebody's nagging in the house. Right? One, it's like a dripping faucet that drives you nuts. Two, what's it say? It's better to be on a rooftop. Right? And you're saying, that's me. No, it's real. What it's saying is, hey, we're not going to get progress tearing down what is trying to be accomplished. At some point, you got to say, I see your effort, and I know you're not where you want to be, but know I'm behind you, and we'll build this together. Ain't no fox. Ain't no devil. Ain't no wolf going to tear this down, because what Christ builds, he cannot take back. And so today, do not let the enemy tell you your progress isn't good. Stand in it and say, okay, the mall, and literally what we know about this is they got the wall halfway. The wall may be halfway built to its height, but we're going to go all the way. Halfway may not be where you want to be, but it's better than where you were. I might not be the man I want to be, but thank God by his grace, I'm better than where I was. We might not be the church we want to be, but can we proclaim today, thank God we're better than where we were. Hey, hey, it's not about being best. It's about letting God make us better. And so today, let them taunt you about the progress you've made. Let the enemy come. He's coming after the progress, but don't surrender the territory. Because I love how the Bible says this. They got it to halfway halfway height, and there were no gaps left in it. I love it. If it went all the way with a gap, it would fall. So I'd rather slow progress than something that's going to get top-heavy. You know what top-heavy means in your progress? Pride. Look at what I did. I left this gate open because I really wanted to focus on the area I know my wife needs the most, so I'm not going to focus on the other areas. And I built this and this, and now all of a sudden it's not stable, and this falls, and it's all down. Hey, hey, listen. It's not about getting all the way there today. It's about doing something that will get you closer to where you want to be with God. That progress matters. The past, God will build with it. But the progress, it might take some time. It might not be what you want, but at least it's better. Stand with me, grab somebody's hands. Let's close in a word of prayer. Your value, your ability, your identity, your belief system, your past, your progress.
You know what I have found? Is the enemy doesn't just come after these one at a time. In two verses, he hits six areas. You know what that shows me? Listen, in one moment, one day, everything you stand for can be under attack. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on where you're going. Keep your eyes on what God's trying to accomplish. Because one day we will stand in heaven and we will be through it all. So until we get to Jesus, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And I promise you, one day you'll turn around and be like, wow, look at just how far God has brought you. How many of you feel like God has done a work in your life in the past six months? Anybody like that, Savannah? Yeah. How many of you got a, a hope and a desire? Maybe you got a goal of things you'd like God to finish and things that you see that he could keep doing. Anybody like that? Say, he's not done. All right. Like, we're not done. Hey, Satan's going to attack you, but God has given you the victory. In the very next verse after the attack came, Nehemiah went back to God. Now, I didn't give you those verses because he prayed vengeance. Right? And I know how some of us are. I'm like, all right. God let a flower pot fall on our head. Let this happen. No, no, no. It's like this. Hey, listen. When all of hell comes against you, get to the throne of God because that's the one place hell has never won. When all the enemy comes against you, go boldly to his throne because it's the place Satan finds defeat every single time. Amen. Men, I'm proud of you. Ladies, I'm praying for you. And what God did in those lives would trickle into your home. Guys that weren't there, listen, don't walk out of here and be like, oh, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. Let's get involved. Let's get close. One thing that I know is I, I now actually know the names of 39 men in our church. It's very hard for me to get to know somebody's name, but I know their names and know a little bit about their story. We had an autistic man there the whole time I watched him. And I just thought, okay, okay, God, you got my little boy. You got him. And that autistic man came by himself and left by himself, but was, okay, God, I don't have to sit around and wonder what's going to happen to him if I die. You you can do a work there. I've watched and listened to your husband's talk. I watched him try to play pool. (laughs) I watched him chase bears. I watched little boys. Have fun. And I remember, like, it's the innocent parts of us that makes us a man. It's the tenderness of us that makes us a man. It's not the muscles and what we can accomplish. I told JD, he's dark complected, got the long hair and all the muscles. I walked out at the night to lock the door so the bears couldn't get in and There he was back to me in the hot tub. And I was like, that looks like Jesus. But if it was Jesus, he'd have been on top of the water, not in it. (laughs) Like, listen, I'm praying that we see a radical change and not in our church, in our community. And I believe that starts right here with a church group of people saying, okay, God, I'm going to get a little bit better. I'm going to build with some stones you've provided a wall around this city so that this could be where your kingdom comes your will be done on earth as it is in heaven amen